Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and I'll read verses 27 through 36. Listen, will you, for the word of God as it's proclaimed through these words given to us by the evangelist Luke. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The word of God for the people of God. Sixty-one years ago, Catholic monk and social activist Thomas Merton stood at the street corner of Fourth and Walnut in Louisville, Kentucky, gazing at the crowd of people before him, and he fell in love with everyone. It was a mystical, transformational experience he describes like this. I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness. Merton goes on to say, it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. Merton's description of humanity shining like the sun is so powerful. What if everyone embraced the idea that each of us embodies a light that is so bright that no darkness, no human willfulness, no poor decision or ignorance can ever dispel it? 
You see, Merton believed, and I quote again, that at the center of our being is a point of nothingness which is untouched by sin and by illusion, a point of pure truth which belongs entirely to God, which is never at our disposal, which is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind or the brutalities of our own will. This little point of nothingness and of absolute poverty is the pure glory of God in us. Not ten miles away from this famous street corner at which Merton had this mystical experience, there is a Hindu temple. Sometime between Sunday evening and Tuesday morning of last week, vandals broke in to that holy space. In an upstairs room, they left vulgar messages spray-painted on the walls, and interspersed amongst these words of hate were several black crosses with phrases that included, Jesus is Almighty, Jesus is Lord. The vandals broke windows, defaced artwork, and left a knife stabbed into a chair. Clearly, the brutalities of the human will were on display. Once again, the Christian gospel of love was hijacked. Once again, hate was wrapped in the garb of religious rhetoric, and Christian symbols were used to do harm and to express violence. So it is that two religions were desecrated. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born into a world equally violent, a world in which the poorest of the poor, the Anawim, as they were known, were constantly under the threat of violence and oppression. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God was at work to transform the world. Jesus announced God's pattern of reversal. The mighty would be brought down. The lowly would be lifted up. It was good news for the poor. It was a message of liberation for all those who were longing to be free from bondage It was freedom for the oppressed. It was food for the hungry. And this message challenged everything that kept the powerful in control. It was then, and it still is today, a radical message. And it ultimately got Jesus killed. In our text today, we find Jesus enunciating the principles and norms of behavior that would govern this new community that he was inaugurating. In Matthew, we find Jesus on a mountaintop to teach, but in Luke, Jesus comes down off the mountain and gets to a level place where he is standing with all the common folk on level ground. 
The, commandment, the commandments we just read from the lips of Jesus aren't meant for a group of elite Christians. They were meant for the common person. They're meant for all of us. And that's where we hear these words. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This new way of life Jesus embodied brought with it a new standard of ethical behavior that goes way beyond do as you would want done. In fact, it goes all the way to do what God would do. Superstar quarterback, at least in my mind, superstar quarterback Tom Brady, was asked a question by an eight-year-old fan this week, and this young boy went up and, and asked him, how do you focus despite the negative fans, a.k.a. the haters? And if you saw the clip on TV, Brady doesn't even take a pause. He just responded without hesitation, we love him. We love him back because we don't hate back. I have no idea what the faith convictions of Tom Brady are, but that's exactly what God calls us to do. We're called by our faith to love the haters, to love those who profaned the temple in Kentucky, to love those whose beliefs are an affront to God, to love those whose Christian indoctrination allows dehumanizing words to come from the same mouth that says, Jesus is Lord. Like, how does that happen? God calls us to love the haters. So here's what I think. I think the bar is too high. In a world as divided as ours, it's just too high a calling whether we're looking at the political divisiveness or the rise in hate crimes or the polarization of our own United Methodist Church, the lines are drawn, each side demonizing the other and stoking fear and arrogance in ways that cause us to wall ourselves off from the other side. Love the haters? Really? We read the words in the Bible love your enemies. Theoretically, it just sounds good. But how do we live that out in the specifics of our time? How do we love the white supremacists of Charlottesville? How do we love the Christians who do harm by their witness? How do we love the Methodists who dismiss the principles of John Wesley's progressive and contextual theological stance. What we really need is a radically different way of thinking. We do not need more dualistic, tit-for-tat thinking. We do not need to build walls. We have to figure out how to build bridges. What we need is a moral ethic that's grounded in the very being of God, who is, as Luke says, kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, and who calls us 
to be merciful just as God is merciful, which can also be translated as compassionate, to be compassionate as God is compassionate. This standard of behavior is a high calling, and clearly it seems to be out of our reach. And so I'm grateful that I am not asked to manufacture this love as if it were a product of my own holiness. And I'm glad that this grace is not dependent on my goodness or my ability to see the goodness in my enemy, because if it were so, I would fail to produce the mercy I am called to. And most of all, I'm glad that we worship a God whose very nature is love, a God who's like a parent who shares prodigious love with both the younger son and the older son, a God who ignores all the social conventions and religious convictions in order to heal on the Sabbath, eat with sinners, touch the unclean, a God incarnate in Jesus who died a brutal death and all the while asked forgiveness for those who tortured him. This God is at the center of our being, says Merton. Deep within us, there is a point of pure truth which belongs entirely to God, is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind and the brutalities of our own will. This is the pure glory of God in us. This is the source of agape love that can build the bridge we need in order to love even our enemy. It is both deeply reassuring and deeply humbling to know that though I am not capable of this love on my own, it is deep within me, waiting to be shared. We are channels of this love. It is love that we easily share with our neighbors and with our friends and with our families. It is love that We share with the haters by confronting their behavior, behavior that is dehumanizing and violent. And yes, according to Jesus, we share this love by being merciful as God is merciful. The mystery of this love is that it changes us. It changes us, particularly when we share it. We are changed. We call it sanctification in the United Methodist tradition, sanctifying grace. And if it is so, and I believe it is, that this love changes us, is it not also so that this love changes the haters? Is it not also so that this love changes our enemy. Love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. It is a high calling. So when we come to the table this morning, may we come with humility. May we remember the depth of mercy that Jesus had for those who broke his body, for those who tried to extinguish his light. May we give thanks for the light of Christ that no darkness can overcome. May we celebrate the pure glory of God that is within us. May we fall in love with everyone by the grace of God and begin to see everyone walking around, shining like the sun. May it be so. Amen.